0: Dystopia tonight. Welcome back to our dystopia, John. Very nice to see you yet again.
1: Yes, nice yeah. to see you. As well. I always forget about that bottom part. Always do it.
0: Always. Um, what's going on, man? We haven't seen each other in a while. We've been
1: we've been busy living our lives and being. Pretty successful. It's nice.
0: Yeah, working and productive, which is good. I see you adventuring out without me, and I hate that because you be like having so much fun over there.
1: I know, man. I know. I'm like your partner who who gets to go out with his friends every now and again. You know what I mean? Like it's like a, oh, and wow. then you're like, oh, I should have come. I should have come with him, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, but no, yeah, I, hung
1: out, I got to hang out with Robert Klein the other night, which is very nice because he was a guest on our show about a month ago. Great guy, um, and he was he was phenomenal. He he hadn't. Uh, I saw him um, at the Pollock Theater in okay. monmouth and um he crushed. I mean, he did not because he, he told me he hadn't been on stage in a couple of years because okay. of the pandemic. He had I was talking to him after the show. He had he did not practice. He did not go into any of the clubs to try out his set. He just went and did that show and he wow. maybe checked his notes once, I think. Once he went back to the piano and like kind of looked at something and then came right back out and just beautiful. Got a standing ovation. Um wow. he is a very very nice guy. We had a blast
0: like riding a bike right his muscle memory for comedy must be like so on point Yeah, right there
1: he did say it was like riding a bike and he said but also i would not get on a bike
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's like at my age and my condition i would not get on a bike
1: I but yeah that. he was he was phenomenal and i think that i think we all have that insecurity about because like, i think you know during the pandemic we were all doing that where we were questioning you know whether we could do it Anymore, and then as soon as we hit the stage again, it was just every you know, the energy from the audience yeah. and and just the natural talent kicks in. I feel like if you couldn't do it, you sucked to begin with, and no one had the heart to tell you,
0: yeah, possibly, right? Like so they just saying, let you do course. it,
1: yeah. But it yeah. was nice, he was great, and uh, and then I did uh that red carpet event, which
0: was amazing, which is awesome, yeah. I was yeah. checking it out. There's a great clip on uh, John Paul Rome. If you check out the reels, you'll see the interview about kate bush and did you see her make sure you take yeah, a
1: that was really cool i got to talk to tony visconti who's an amazing uh who's bowie's uh producer forever and he worked with bowie on some of his albums too he plays bass amazing super cool yeah he was amazing amazing guy and everybody at the key change event was was awesome so it's just been great man been busy
0: yeah and i was stuck out i had a bunch of business to do out in vegas and then mm-hmm. my flight got canceled multiple times and that was a little bit rough so- i know man two days of cancellation. I see everybody out. There's so many people in the airport. It was like watching a comedy when I was like, I I wasn't mad that it happened. I was like, all right, I'll go back and get another hotel. People right. erupted. It was like the Maury Povich show. It was a very, very interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. I felt bad. At least I did. it wasn't my fault this time because last time you missed a flight it was because we were actually trying to do a show from an airport.
0: And then yes.
1: Yeah. And you had your headphones on and they called your flight and you just didn't
0: move. And then the gentleman that you are bought me sushi. No, sorry. Being, <laughs> you bought me ramen afterwards. I appreciate I? that. Yeah,
1: yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, good. You're I'm well, you know, I do it again. Troubles.
0: What I did was while I was away, I made sure that I was able to follow you and watch everything by going over to YouTube at Dystopia Tonight so you can follow us. We're almost at that 1,000 subscribers. We're going to do a giveaway. If you uh, if you don't want to watch us and you just want to listen to us, listen to us on Apple, Spotify, anywhere we listen to those podcasts. But right now, if you're over there on the Facebook side or you're over on the Instagram side, make your way on over to Twitch, www.twitch.tv backslash Dystopia Tonight so you can join in this conversation. Not only with a legend in the television industry, but also an incredibly funny lady who's taken my place for tonight because she's such a big fan.
1: Yes. Julia Scotty is an amazing comedian. Very, very good friend of mine. Actress. Uh, she's super, super funny. She's got a Showtime special out now called More Funny Women of a Certain Age. Um, she's on with a, a bunch of other great female comedians. And um, she's also got a documentary out called Julia Scotty: Funny that way. Critically acclaimed. Amazing documentary if you haven't seen it. Let's bring out Julia.
2: Hello. Hey. Hi.
3: Hello. Oh,
2: I, I am so happy to be here. Get out of here, Tom. I'm taking out of you. <laughs> <one.
3: laughs> I'm out of here. Goodbye.
2: <laughs> What's going on, Julia? I, I'm just I am so thrilled and honored to be on the show with you tonight because this is uh this is I, when I tell you that this is a moment in my life that I used to dream about, uh I'm not lying. And I know he's listening, and I'm not lying. Um uh, I I have been a fan of this man since I was. 11 when did wow. the dick van dyke show came on 61 yeah yep. I, was, I was uh i was 10 wow so i've you know i've followed anything he's done uh for my entire life and one of the reasons i'm in comedy is because of can i say his name oh yeah i was gonna ask oh, if you want to introduce him. Yeah, bring him on it's his second time on the show we're happy to have him back you've got to uh, do you want to introduce delivering? him. oh it is an honor a pleasure and an honor and I swear to God, if he were here or I were there, I would be hugging him right now and bowing before him. Ladies and gentlemen, the incredible Mr. Bill Persky.
4: Hey my goodness, thank you. So nice of you to be that enthusiastic about me.
2: Well, it's it's all genuine. It's it's all for real, like not phony show business stuff. It's know, real. I,
4: I understand. I understand. I and I and I'm grateful for it. I always am. You know, it's it's uh you forget that uh, sometimes you forget that you've done stuff that really matters to people, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and I know that when, when we did that girl, I knew I was doing something that was going to have an incredible impact on young women. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it did, you know, and it was, it's something of, you know, I've done a lot of things, but there are a few of them that I'm really just proud because they just, left a, a mark, you know, and uh, I I, was, Can very, I
2: ask about that? There, you money, ask you. No, go ahead. Okay, so I I was surprised to see that Marlo Thomas had been on the Joey Bishop show uh, before that girl. I thought that girl was her very first television. Show. No,
4: as a matter of fact, well, she did some guest shots and stuff, but the way it, that the show came about is Marlo did a, a pilot of three airline stewardesses that was very big you know and, yeah. and back in in the 50s and and the 60s there never was such a thing as a young woman on her own trying to do something i mean there you were either a nurse or you were someone's daughter you know but but marlo really broke a barrier and the way it happened was they did this pilot, and the pilot didn't sell, but the audience loved Marlo. So Ed Sherick, who was the head of ABC at the time, called her in and said that he wanted to do a show with her, and he gave her a bunch of scripts, all of which were about being a nurse, uh, a nanny, uh, you know, and she, Marlo, being who she is, as I refer to her, the velvet steamroller, uh, <laughs> she said she wanted to do a show about a young woman who aspired to have a career and who lived alone and it was unheard of, you know? Yeah. And she gave Ed Sherrick, who was a really a, a wonderful network executive, one of the few. And, uh, she gave him Betty for Dan's book, you know, about, wow. The, yeah. And that, which was current at that time. <laughs> and he read that and he said, okay, now who are you going to get to write it? And at that point, uh, Sam and I coming off the Van Dyke show, I could have done anything that I want. I mean, it was just like, it was like on, on America's got talent. It was the golden buzzer. Yeah, You know, everybody respected it so much that I could have done anything I wanted. And the, the fact that Marlowe said, well, I'm going to get Bill Persky and Sam Denhoff to do it. And they said, well, if you can get them, that's great. And she didn't. I had met her once or twice. Mm. We, you know, Danny shot his show right next to where the Van Dyke show was. Right. And so she was doing a play. First of all, I'm a big feminist. I mean, did I cover this last time? I don't think so. No. Okay, good. But maybe you're as bad memory as I am. (laughs) <laughs> but but, but uh, I had a sister who, who, uh, who literally is the reason the show was called That Girl. Because my sister was so special and she was so out there that my parents referred to her in the third person. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that girl did today? <laughs> I can't believe what that girl did. So anyway I, I've always been a big feminist and and uh, even before there was a name for it and so uh we met with Marlowe, and I have to admit Sam it was perfect because Sam was a misogynist I mean he <laughs> just was not there wow but uh, and I guess it, it kept me from going too far you know but uh, so she said I'd like to do a show and Uh, if you want to see me work, I'm doing a play in London with, uh, with Daniel Massey, who was Raymond Massey's son. Yeah, yeah. barefoot Mm -hmm. in the park. So she she
1: was, I love that play and the movie. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So she, she, uh, flew us over to London in an experience worthy of a whole evening. And, uh, When we got there, it was used to fly over the pole then, you know, and it was Mm. about a fourteen hour flight. And we happened to be the only guys in first class. So we got all the caviar and all the vodka and all of everything. And by the time we got there, we were dead. And we checked in, she checked us into the Connaught, which is one of the most renowned old British I mean it was so British you couldn't understand what anyone was saying and but it was old you know and we were tired and we walked into this place and it looked really like my grandmother's house you know Mm -hmm. I said to Sam you know maybe we ought to check something out and there was this big stairway with a beautiful banister I mean about a foot wide and and I said, I don't know. What do you think? And then David Niven and and Rex Harrison came down the steps. And I said, well, maybe we'll give it a try. <laughs> so anyway, we saw her and she was terrific. And then we came back and they were going to call the show Miss Independence because that's what Danny called her because okay. mm-hmm. she moved out of the house and she's a very independent person mm. and i said you know that sounds you want to do a show about a, a young woman who has aspirations and who's out in the world i said miss independence sounds like she won a beauty contest yeah and i told her about my sister and i said i think we should call it that girl and that's how that came about and it, it made wow. for great opening sequences well, yeah, you that yeah. Tag, yeah you know and the funny thing is we did it in the pilot uh and i said i want to show that the different aspects of this girl her parents thought the world of her then she had an agent who was trying to sell her and he was talking about how brilliant! And then there was there was a picture her parents had of her graduating where she looked great, and then he had her, her, uh, you know, her fake sheet with all of her publicity pictures in it. The agent you saw and she looked beautiful, and and each of them said, "I don't know what to do with that girl." And then the agent said, "You're really going to be happy. That girl is on her way." And then there was a shot in in a restaurant and a guy said to the busboy where's my who's my waitress and he said that girl and there she was with ketchup on her face <laughs> her hat falling down and the camera zoomed in and i said you know it's a great way to introduce it but we ended up doing it for 150 shows wow. and it's one of the more recognizable openings that's, of you know of, of and and people would, would say, you know, to somebody, that girl, you know, it, it was really great. We were, we were lucky. And the show was, the show was wonderful. And, and, and Ted Bessel, who played her boyfriend. Love Ted Bessel. Ted Bessel, good God love him. He died so young. Wow. And, and, uh, <laughs> Teddy said he had his, he had his fan club picture was the back of his head. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were
2: from the back from yeah.
4: the back or and over shoulder shots and stuff. He, and is, he was a great staple on that show though, too. Yeah, I mean he's, he's one was, of those
1: those classically underrated, you know, characters in te- in television that
4: was just oh Teddy was yeah, he was amazing. And he was one of the funniest guys ever. I wrote a pilot for him about a guy mm-hmm. in therapy. Oh wow. And it was called Bobby Parker and Company. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, people would say about things Sam and I had done. And somebody would say, well, it was ahead of its time, you know. And Sam would say, yeah, the world wasn't ready for shit yet. (laughs) (laughs) I did did this pilot by myself. I, I wrote it for Teddy And nobody asked me to write it. You know, it was not like I went to a studio or anything. I just wanted to write this thing for him. And I was having lunch at Universal with this guy. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I got a couple of things. I said, but I wrote this pilot for Ted Bessel that I really love. And he said, can I see it? And I said, for (laughs) $25,000. And he said, what? I mean, that was a lot of money back then. Nineteen sixty-nine, yeah. seventy. 70 sure. And uh I said, the truth is I wrote it because I wanted to. Nobody owns it but me. And I made a pact with myself that uh if anyone wants to read it, it's twenty-five thousand dollars. So it happened that Sid Scheinberg, who was the head of Universal, was at the next booth and he said, Sid Bill wrote this thing and he said it's twenty okay, give him the money. So we made the pilot. Wow. And uh, what was really special about it was, it was a guy whose mother and father were always talking to him. His mother was played by Joan Blondell, if you remember. Oh my God! Wow. Oh my God! Oh. And his father was Tom DeAndre. Oh! And, oh, God! God! And, Psychiatrist like was Tom Poston. Oh Jesus! Oh, no what way. a hand and uh so it you you got the awareness that this guy was the result of those voices in his head mm-hmm. and it was timed out that there you know there were things where mm-hmm. while he was thinking, it was them talking to him. It was really it was really an amazing, amazing. is there thing. a copy
2: of it anywhere?
4: I, I, I think it's online. you can find it somewhere Bobby and, Parker and Company. Wow. And, yeah, and I remember when I screened it for NBC. There were a room full of guys, and it, the whole thing was about me and about my issues and you know what I'm neurotic about. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the lights came up, there there were there were guys, there were uh, African Americans there, there were Protestants, there were everything. And after the thing was over, it was you know a silent and some guy said jesus christ that's me and wow. another guy said no it's me and it's every guy in the room and it just was too early to to do therapy back then you know yeah. Oh, that's. I mean, he, he really he really i mean it, it was really a guy unguarded you know talking about being afraid and about this and there was one there was one thing i loved where he, it was his house was robbed and he felt he should have done something more than he did, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, so the doctor was saying something to him. He says, Well, you know, there's a right thing. He said, Don't give me any of the psychiatry crap. This is a real problem. <laughs> how did he, how did Ted feel about the show, too? Was he kind oh, he he, of he, open? He a... it broke his heart. Yeah. Yeah. What, there, did, were, I... there were a couple of shows that broke my heart. There was that. And then there was one that was written for Tim Conway called oh, The Boys wow. about two comedy writers. And okay. Herbie Edelman played his oh. partner, we yeah. was supposed to be Harvey. But Harvey at that point thought that he was going to have his own show and he didn't oh. want to be that much identified with Timmy. Okay. And, but the opening scene of that was coming home from two guys coming to their office after a funeral. And just talking about this dead guy and, you know, trying to start writing and all. I mean, it was just, that was a brilliant show. It broke my heart.
2: Can I ask you a question about Tim Conway? Thank You know, in a supporting part, Tim Conway was absolutely brilliant. But yet mm-hmm. it seemed like every time he was in a lead, uh, it the the, the the thing just never took off.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it was hard to to pin down tim first of all he was so brilliantly physically fun yes he, absolutely. Was at, he was his, i'll recommend something to you a movie i wrote and directed for him a i'm movie writing roll <laughs> freddie roll okay and it was about a guy who through a series of circumstances and to impress his young son ends up going for the world record of being on roller skates. So it was Tim Conway on roller <laughs> skates for one week of his life. Now that I can see. Including being a pallbearer at a funeral.
1: Oh, my oh God. God.
4: You know that church on Pico out in L.A.? Across from uh, the golf course. It's oh, a beautiful church with a big stairway. And we shot at that church. And what Tim Conway did coming down those stairs, I mean, nobody, nobody could. I mean, I shot a half hour of film of him just opening a heavy glass door. Wow. And Because he couldn't, you know, and he went off a curb and got caught in the grating of a sewer. I mean, the stuff he did. Wow. He was. The he, greatest,
2: it seemed like he needed a straight man to 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 play. Yeah, he needed know. somebody
4: to play off of. Yeah. And the, the thing that turned out is that that show really broke my heart, and it was really the la- one of the last things Sam and I did together because it just felt like there was nowhere to go a- a- after after that. You know.
1: What do you think was the reason that they didn't sell though? Because they the concept I'll sounds tell, amazing.
4: I'll tell you very simply. Three five years later. I got a call from uh, a guy who had been at CBS at the time. Hmm. I will leave names out, and he he was drunk, and he said, "I've been walking around for five years with this thing. I have to tell you, the guy who was the head of research did not like Sam. Wow! And he he lied about the research."
3: Oh my god! Wow,
4: it was based on that that we didn't sell the show. That is brutal! Wow, yeah,
1: unbelievable. Um, I do. How often? I mean, I I know this business is like, you know, rough like that in terms of you know people you don't know maybe not liking you taking this. Like, how often do you think that actually happens though?
4: what that somebody screws you
1: yeah like in the background there's, <laughs> there,
4: well because there's some it, it, there's there, some shows there's, yeah there's animosities, there's no question but the other thing is you know william goldman who yeah. wrote butch cassidy and and, and the, all the and some, yeah he said nobody in hollywood knows anything and <laughs> and the only way you get in trouble in in hollywood is when you say yes You can say no to the great. I mean, there was a guy by the name of Marvin Antonowski, who was the head of research at at Columbia. Mm -hmm. And he turned down E.T. Wow. Turned down E.T. Didn't get fired, didn't even get yelled at because he had a sheet of papers with numbers all over him of why E.T. wasn't going to work. Oh my God.
1: Well, didn't they, I mean, they almost canceled Seinfeld. Like they almost
4: didn't yeah, go yeah, with that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the only, the only thing is that George kept, kept it going. You right. say right. You talk about Georgie.
1: Yeah. I'd love to. Cause I yeah. know you were close with him, and he had just passed
4: away. I'm sorry to yeah. hear that. Yeah. George Shapiro was my first agent and I was his first client, Sam and I. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were working at WNW Radio. I think I told you that last time. That, yeah. And we did a. I was getting thirty-five dollars a week, and uh, <laughs> we did a Christmas show for the for the party, mm-hmm. and we wrote songs and it was really fun. And this little guy comes up to us, and he said, "Hi, my name is George Shapiro, and I'd like to be your agent." And well. we said great he said i'm with the william morris office and i said, oh, great you, you have a card he said no not yet because till this afternoon i was in the mail room and i <laughs> didn't get my cards yet and i said Then you know what if you never get out of the mail room you'll be my agent. <laughs> and george shapiro was one of the most special people besides being in he had a zest for life and nothing ever held him back and he found some i mean he was Andy Kaufman's agent yeah. yeah and he found Jerry Seinfeld and you know and he was the most loved guy in the world i swear He's to good. god he was just i mean we we start we started out doing writing for stand up comics mm-hmm. you know back in the in the fifties yeah when there was no there was no comedy club there was no uh comic strip you know there were no comedy clubs there were strip joints that would have a comic come out to talk while the girls put their clothes back on to come out and take them off again right but there were no comedy clubs and 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 uh but guys worked bar mitzvahs weddings you know there those there were those multiple places in in queens where you, you'd have a bar mitzvah in one room and a funeral in another room and a, ma- a wedding in another room and you know have you ever worked any of those joints oh absolutely oh, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs>
4: lots we'll of banquet we'll lots see, of, that's, that's of
1: banquet halls and weird nightclubs. more than i can't remember
4: yeah that's the education though you know yeah it, it is absolutely if you're going to die, you may as well die among friends. I'm,
1: a, I'm about to do another one in a couple of weeks, unfortunately, because I need the money. But uh, <laughs> I offered to do a, oh God, in Clifton, New Jersey, there's a birthday party and it's in a banquet hall. And they, I mean, the money's good, but okay. you know, it's a birthday party. So I know it's going to be death for me.
2: And, and I just came back from doing two shows in, in Vegas and in Palm Springs for a quote, over 55 community. Uh they didn't tell me how much over 50 (laughs) (laughs) they were way way over yeah
4: (laughs) Yeah. well it's it's hard to get laughs out of people who are hooked up to all kinds of machines yes
1: i did a birthday party once where uh, it was it was somebody's 80th birthday and it was their aunt's 80th birthday and she could give a crap less that i was there yeah i don't think she knew and they they didn't have the equipment that I, you know, because you send out what you need. You're like, yeah, I'll do the show, but I just, you know, do you have a mic and do you have whatever? And like, yeah, we got a mic. It was a Fisher Price mic, uh, that, like a kid's thing. And I just oh. I just held it and kind of went around the room and yeah, got well, my it, money. It's,
4: it's those kind of joints where you say, not only did I die, but the, 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 the woman who had the birthday died too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we buried her and my career yeah, on the same the, day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but boy, you learned. God, oh, totally. Oh, yeah.
2: We, I, well, Johnny did it, but I'm old enough to. When I started, I worked at Pips in Brooklyn and Sheepshead Bay. Do you, oh, yeah. Did you yeah. know that? Uh,
4: yeah. You, oh. Did you ever do the Elegante?
2: No, I didn't do that. But that was my
4: introduction already.
2: Uh, my wow. introduction was Pips, and that was brutal, just absolutely brutal.
4: But I learned
2: that it, it toughened my skin. You know. Oh you, yeah.
4: Could, well, I I think I told you last time, but it. it since you weren't here, it's Joey Bishop had the best experience. He was playing a club in in, in Steubenville, Ohio, hmm. and someone came in and robbed the place while he was working. <laughs> and he panicked. And these guys with masks and guns and uh, bags, and the people were throwing everything in, and Joey just froze. And he said, keep talking, kid, you're funny. So he, <laughs> he's now doing material from god knows where and oh. and then when they finished robbing the people they pulled up a chair and sat down and said do some more <laughs> <laughs> so joey is doing it doing it. and then they said you're gonna make it kid you're really terrific and they reached into big and threw him a watch that they just stole from so oh, much. funny
1: my god this man. what do you what do you think the connection was back in the day between mobsters and comedians it seems like everybody from like bob knew like whenever well, i could, listen to own bob the
4: club. they they owned the clubs you know they, but were they, but they really
1: took a liking to entertainers what it, like like you couldn't be touched if you were liked by the mob yeah, that
4: yeah no, that, no question yeah well
2: rosemary's Rose uh Rose Marie, yeah yeah, oh, yeah rosemary
4: <laughs> was the darling of, that know, documentary was Rose phenomenal Marie.
2: yes it was
4: but uh those days were great you know,
2: which is why I love the Max Calvada episode. I'm sorry to go back to the oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's a brilliant that, episode. The that, uh, Jack Larson, yeah, that
4: characters, it was just <laughs> great. It was so bad.
2: <laughs> but yeah. I love to hear you say encore. And, and then, I, I,
4: well, <laughs> what most people don't know is that Calvada. Yes. Was the name of the production front company? Sure. It was it was uh, it was Danny and, 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 and Carl mm-hmm. CA Van Dyke mm-hmm. Danny and Sheldon Leonard, right? And Sheldon, of course, was one of the I tell you, Sheldon Leonard was a brilliant and amazing character. I mean, you know, he and Anthony Quinn played Indian Indians in Cecil B. DeMille's movie. No, no I didn't know that. And, yeah, they wrote, they rode together as and Indians. That's, that's
1: hilarious. Didn't Sheldon Leonard save the Dick Van Dyke show at one point? Oh
4: yes, absolutely. Yeah. They put it on at such a bad time slot. And and Sheldon went to to uh Jim Aubrey, who was one of the most they called him the smiling cobra. He was the first of the really killer network executives. Wow! And Sheldon went to him and he said, "You put this thing on at nine o'clock with a in
3: we'll,
4: we'll give you a real hit." <laughs> I said, "You know, there was a coffee that came out back then. It was called mocha java. Everybody said mocha java because you could only say mocha java out of the side of your mouth." And Sheldon said, I tried that new coffee, Mocha Java. And, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh God. I don't know that, you know, I don't know that anybody has the fun now that we had. You yeah. know, it, it it was it was all being invented and stuff you know i I, I always think about that
1: because i was was gonna say i always think about that because everything people figure out stuff as time goes on so then it becomes very structured very capitalistic very like how do we just we need a formula and there's no fun there's no wiggle room we know this is what make even when it doesn't make money they still stick with the same formula because it's safe
4: well the thing is the only time you get in trouble as an movie executive or a network executive is when you say yes you can Uh, say no to et and you don't get in trouble but you say yes to something that's when the money has to be spent you know right and and
2: the fact that you you, had fun on that show it's so evident i was watching an episode yeah i was watching an episode the other night and Robin Laura watching watching some movie or something, but the voiceovers are Jerry Paris yeah. and Sheldon Leonard. Going, I could just picture them off, off camera doing these voices. It was, I go, what a blast that must've been to, to be well, there.
4: Well, also, you know, now everybody talks about the writer's room and the writer's room. We didn't have a writer's room. It was Carl mm-hmm. Sam and me, and Dick and Maury would sit around, after a run-through and make some changes. Wow. And that but there was no writer's room. That's um, interesting. I, I didn't I, know
2: about Maury. I, I didn't know about Maury Amsterdam's input
4: there. Oh yeah. Maury when Maury perfect example when Maury did the warm-up, the the audience was in hysterics, but the show would not do well. Cause wow. his humor was so far removed from what the subtle subtlety of Van Dyke show writing was, you know. Mm -hmm. But he was always good for a joke, you know. And it would be fun. We'd sit around the table. Then it became that there were 20 writers. They'd have a run-through. They had menus from all the most expensive restaurants in L.A. They'd order $3,000 worth of food. And they'd sit until four in the morning rewriting the script. Wow. Often when it didn't need it, you know, it became, there's a guy, I don't, you know, Bob Ellison, you know the name, Bob? Yeah. Yeah.
2: The the, the Herman. No, that Mm -hmm. was Herman Glucher. Was that him?
4: No, Bob Ellison was a a writer who got $5,000 to come in on rewrite night on shows. That's how funny he was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Bob Elson, I, I may have told you this thing that he did last time, but it's to me the it is the most perfect example of a brilliant comedy mind. Frank Sinatra had a uh, a bodyguard by the name of Jilly Rizzo. Mm-hmm. And he whenever anybody needed to be moved aside, Jilly would take care of him. <laughs> he, he was really tough. And on the other side of it, Frank Sinatra was very friendly with Bennett Serf, yeah. who was like this high-end publisher wit. I mean, like a genius, high-class guy. And when uh, Bennett Serf died, there were a b- bunch of guys sitting around in P.J. Clark's and and uh, somebody said, you know, uh, Frank has taken Jilly to Bennett Serf's funeral. And someone said, "Well, why the hell would he do that?" And without missing a beat, Ellison said, "He wanted Jilly to see what someone looked like when they died of natural causes." <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on. brilliant, oh, brilliant. Oh God, that's funny. That's hilarious. Without any thought that's just that yeah that that moment that the comedy mind just automatically goes into what it wants to say but then how it wants to say it you know yeah Yeah. well
1: you guys when you were when you were writing these episodes especially for that girl were what did you do because i know that some of the stories were from your own lives like you guys kind of incorporated situations
4: everything on the van dyke show was somebody's life yes story i mean nothing was ever made up it all connected the first one that we did was because i thought when my first child was born that we got some wrong flowers and stuff just like in the show and there was no DNA then. And I, I actually said, how do we know we got the right kid?
2: <laughs> there was, will never be another episode equal to that one. That told, was great. When oh. I told
4: Carl that, when we had our first meeting, he said, that's the show you're doing. Oh, wow. I, and, uh, I, I and was a
2: kid it, when that show aired, it, and, I, and I couldn't believe when they walked in and Greg
4: Morrison That right. moment was oh. one of the best, one of the early moments of the civil rights movement. Yeah. It really was, and Carl did it with that in mind. Because nice. the network did not want to let them do it. Wow! Is is it true they had to cut the laugh because it was oh, so long? The laugh was twenty minutes long. Wow! So the way it was is it uh, the initial laugh was so was about four minutes,
3: mm-hmm.
4: and then we had to go back and start again, and the laugh never really died. But every time they started again and came in again they would laugh again so we had and and if they walked and said a line then that would get another laugh so it was like 20 minutes of laugh it's one of the longest laughs ever
1: oh. yeah what was there's an episode of the Dick Van Dyke show where Laura gets her foot her, her oh, uh, toe stuck that, in the thumb but there's there's also an episode of that girl where she gets her finger caught in a bowling, in a bowling ball.
4: ball. Yeah, yeah. Was there
1: something back in the day with like women getting their appendages caught and stuff? Who the like, how hell did you
4: guys- I don't know. <laughs> Who the hell knows? If there's an open hole, put something in it. You know?
1: <laughs> it's actually <laughs> well, how I live my life. So I don't
4: I'll know. Tell you, um, I'll tell you, and I may have again said this last time because it's it's just the perfect example of what happened with women on television Mm
3: -hmm. in 1960
4: in 1965 when we did that girl we did an episode where she was having company come over and there was something happened to the sink and it backed up in the kitchen and she panicked and she called her father right Later on the Mary Tyler Moore show, her shower was backed up and she was going to a party or something. She called a plumber
3: mm-hmm.
4: on Kate and Allie. Five years later, they had a problem with the washing machine. They tried to fix it themselves. They flooded the basement, called the plumber and Kate had an affair with him for 10 episodes. So in that 20 year span, just how a plumbing problem reflected what was happening and what the level of women from the father to the plumber to having an affair with the plumber.
2: That's a, that's a good point. I you know, approaching the same situation from a different era and different morals. Yeah, and,
4: I said it was like, yeah, it's you know, that girl and Kate and Allie are bookends and Mary was in the middle, you know. And it was I, should
1: you should pitch something. I mean, I've never thought of about it this way, but that would be an interesting documentary to do about how things have progressed
3: just based
1: on the culture within television and how it reflected it.
4: Well, you know, I'm doing, I met, I did a, I, there's a, that was interesting. (laughs) It (laughs) was my mind (laughs) altogether. There's a a venue in Sag Harbor. Mm Mm-hmm which is near Shelter Island. And it's a church that they redid this couple who were just amazing. They're artists and they they wanted a space for shows. And some. they bought this old church and it is the most brilliant performance space you've ever seen. And I spoke there in November. And oh. uh, when they have, oh God, the Catherine Graham dancers were in residence for a month during the summer. Wow. You know, they, they do great things. And when I spoke, there was this young kid. I, he had a mask on, and I, he was waving to me. And I thought, I know a lot of kids, and I thought I knew him. And afterwards, he came up, and I realized I didn't know him. I said, well, you don't know me. Why were you waving? He said, I wanted to make you feel good. And Aww. this kid has now become my best friend, <laughs> Finney. His name is Finney. Wow. And he is the most amazing kid. He's 12. And I decided that I wanted to do something with him for the church during the summer for kids. So I'm doing, we're doing a film called When I Was Your Age. And it's going to be, I'm going to take him back to when I was 12. Wow.
2: Oh, how and cool.
4: Play the street games. and
2: Yeah. yeah.
4: And then I have a number of other people who are going to be in it when they were 12. And we're oh my going to God! Just bring him through the ages up to now, and it's called "When I Was Your Age." Uh, when I was your age, from there, from there to here to where. Wow! I, if
2: I could jump in here, I, Bill, I, I, I'm going to be performing in Sag Harbor.
4: Oh really? When?
2: I'm going to be there. I'm just looking at my uh, July 30th. I'm going to be at the Bay Street Theater.
4: Oh really? Great! i come. Yeah.
2: Oh, I would love that. I would be yeah, absolutely so honored. For you so to come Oh, you have to let me know, and I'll and I'll, I'll have. I'll give, you'll
4: get my email, and so I'm oh. there. I'm there. I'll leave right after this, so I get a good seat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope y'all. I hope that would. You don't know how. how oh my God! All right, go no, ahead, John. It like it? I'm there, man. I love this. I'm so glad I got to
1: connect
4: you guys. Yeah. Oh. Good. What are you um, doing like, a stand up or a play? Yeah, am there
2: with. Uh, we're doing. Uh, uh, I'm there with my friend Anita Wise. She's opening. And then I come out and I'll do an hour. So I'll just. Oh, it. how cool! Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Julia
1: is absolutely. A, she's she's one of the hardest working comedians talk. I know, and she's super funny.
2: You can I'm go sorry. On
4: stage. You can go me on the stage and we'll talk.
2: Oh. Ooh. That would be so swell. Yeah,
4: I'll do. It. Yeah, whatever you want. I would love that. Oh God. Anyway, oh. I'm here the thirtieth. I'm putting. It, wait a minute. I'm putting it in the phone. Okay. Right now. <laughs> Nope. I'll, I'll give you the number amazing. off
2: camera, my phone number. You can call me. Just let me know for sure you're coming. Yeah, and oh, I'm give coming. it to everybody. Don't hold out.
4: No. <laughs> July 30th. July thirty. Oh, I can't. I'm doing someone's bar mitzvah. No, I can't. <laughs> 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 He's, booked. <laughs> He's booked. He's booked. <laughs> <laughs> All I need is a ramp for my walker. <laughs>
2: Oh, my, yeah. Listen, you know what? I'll carry you up. <laughs>
1: oh, Julia, my mom just texted me. She said she wants to come, too. <laughs> oh,
2: Tag Harbor? Oh. Yeah. I've never been, so I, I, everybody oh, wants to go. Tag
4: Harbor, it's great. I'm so thrilled. I, oh, my God. You can't. Oh, great. Absolutely. I'll be there. I'll be there with Finney. I'll bring Finney. Oh,
2: Finney's nice.
4: Sure? Oh, how
2: cool is that going to be? super sweet. All right. Speaking all right. Doc- now, back, now back to the show, folks. Back to the show. Okay. No,
1: but speaking of documentaries, did they ever do anything on the Dick Van Dyke? Like, I I see all these documentaries of shows and stuff like that. I've never seen an extensive one on the Dick Van Dyke show. Do they have behind the
4: scenes footage? Yeah, and- there's a guy, uh oh shoot, I'm gonna be so embarrassed that I don't remember his name at the moment. He did a thing called the the Walnut Journal, at you know, because of the Walnuts, yeah, the Walnut episode, yeah. And he documented everything on the Van Dyke show and he did a documentary on it oh wow I've never heard of it yeah Um, I'll I'll, I'll track it down and I'll get you the information thank you how did that show come about well it came about because Carl after show a show or after Caesars Hour whichever one came last he was on Fire Island. There was a whole bunch of them. He and Mel and Norman Lear, they all used to go, what are you barking at? <laughs> I don't even have a dog. <laughs> and uh, he he didn't know what he was going to do next. And so Estelle, who his wife, who was one of the great ladies and a great, you know, of course, you know, one of the greatest uh, movie minds of all yeah. times, Estelle. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, which your audience should know, that in Harry Met Sally, Estelle is the one who said, I'll have what what she's having. having. And Rob flew her in just for that line. Wow. And uh, at any rate, uh, Carl said, I I think maybe I should try and write something. So he wrote over the summer, 13 episodes of a show for himself. And he... Did the pilot, which didn't sell. Morty Gunty was in it with him. I remember that. Yeah. And uh, Sheldon Leonard found out about it. And he said, anybody who's got 13 shows, I want to meet. We can't let them go to waste. Right. And and, uh, so that's how it, it started, Sheldon. And then he had seen Dick Van Dyke in... In, Birdie. Birdie, yeah and he said this is the guy who's better than you to be you <laughs> and, wasn't and, sure
2: had johnny carson originally in mind for that show right yeah I,
4: I think so but then they saw van dyke that was it and mary had interviewed you notice know about mary had interviewed to play danny thomas's daughter mm-hmm and he said no one is going to believe that that nose gave birth to that nose. <laughs> but he always remembered her and so when they were looking for laura uh, danny said to carl there's this girl have her come in and she came in and <laughs> carl talked to her for two minutes he came over as carl would do and took her by the top of her head lifted her out of the chair, and walked her into Sheldon's office, <laughs> I found her. And wow. that's how Jerry well, got
3: cast.
2: And that could never happen today, I don't think. Do you? No. It no, would no, no, have
4: no. to be nine no. million committees, you know.
2: what? Jerry Paris. I'm sorry, Johnny. I
1: didn't no, mean I was going to gonna ask. Well, I was going to ask about Jerry Paris, too. So yeah. what was, I mean, he he got to direct some of those episodes. And,
4: or what? Johnny? Yeah did most of the beginning ones, and then Jerry became the regular director.
1: When did that, When? When did he, In I mean, how did that wind up happening?
4: The third year. Third year. I guess Jerry just asked to do one, and then it worked, and he just kept doing them. What was he like as a director? Well, you know, uh, the thing about multiple camera situation comedy is, after the first twelve shows, the cast knows more than the director does. I mean, uh-huh. they know where to stand, they know where they can cross from here to there and stuff. Jerry was good, but I'm just saying it's mm-hmm. not like you were creating the characters they they knew what they were could say better than anybody, and in the long run, Carl directed those shows, okay, Carl was a force that you know.
2: Directed
4: yeah. the ones that Jerry Paris No, oh, I mean, he... he Oversaw it. Oversaw it yeah. say, oh, let's do this or let's do that. Right. Know?
1: And Jerry seemed like a really nice... I mean, Jerry he was a
4: he, good he, guy, he was a good actor, and he was a good director. But on the Van Dyke show, it was Carl. And okay. Jerry went on and did a lot of other stuff. Yes. He did a lot of stuff for Gary Marshall, you know, over mm-hmm. on, on those shows. And he seemed like he was also just
1: naturally funny, though, too. Like, yeah. he fit in with the others. Now, Gary was one of the greats of
4: all time.
2: Gary Marshall. I love how he pops we, up as the drummer, or he's the bartender in the final show. Or he's just...
4: Yeah. Oh, well, he's a really good actor, and he's a drummer. Yeah. He had a band at the show, and he played the drums. And I met Gary in 19... Fifty-seven. He was partners with Freddie Freeman, and there were a bunch of us who wanted to do a Broadway show, and it was uh, Sam and me, uh, Gary and Freddie, Bill Angelos, who wrote for, for Carol Burnett, and Saul Turtletaub who was one of the greats and uh, a guy by the name of, uh, oh Jesus, Henry Pearl, whatever. And here's what happened. We were called the 10 scribes and we were going to write a Broadway show and we would meet once a week and we would read, you know, what we were going to do. And, Freddie would not let Gary talk.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God.
4: But the the demise of the 10 scribes was Saul was married to his wife, Shirley. We had the first meeting there. And she put out some cheese and crackers. The next meeting was at Lan Oaken's house and he was married to Sherry. Uh, oh, what's her name? North. No, no, Sherry. It, she did a kid's show. Um, oh, Sherry, um, Sherry Lewis. Sherry married Lewis. Sherry Lewis. And Danny was, and and, and uh, Lamb wrote all, Lanny wrote all her material and stuff. So they were married, and we went over there, and they had uh, little cheese and crackers, and then at the end, they had coffee, cake, and coffee. The next meeting was at Saul's house again, and they had some chopped liver and uh, other little appetizers, and they had coffee and cake. Oh, the other guy's name was Jack Urban. Jack Urban lived with his mother on Central Park West in one of those 90-room apartments. Jack Urban's mother served a six-course meal and we never had another (laughs) meal. We ate ourselves out of the business. You know, it's just you reach a point it's almost embarrassing where somebody will say something and I I have something that relates to it, you know, and I just have to stop myself sometimes. No, we, you you know, know, we
2: you're i if i i mean i i start, I, I started comedy at the dawn of the you know the stand-up age the new stand-up age right and i look back at those times and the people i worked with and i go oh my god i was so blessed i can't even imagine you're talking names that i grew up watching yeah. and, yeah. and putting right. on your own so don't ever not talk about
4: that. i remember you know do you know drew friedman He's no, Bruce that J. name is Bruce J Friedman's son. Oh, okay, yeah. And he is a a, a caricaturist. Mm-hmm. Okay. And his look him up. His work, he's been on the covers, Yes. The covers of everything and he does old comedians. Yep. And he had a show at the Illustrators Club with about 40 different guys. And I I was up there I was doing one of the early Gilbert Godfrey Podcast. uh, podcasts yeah. and uh, it was coming from there. And I just, every picture I had a story about, you know, it, it's like you just pick it up a I don't know if the, the exposure at that time was so much different than it is now, you know. Yeah. It's more more of a fraternity and a, you sure. know I you know the the, the comics who worked the the comic strip and and catch a rising star and all that stuff, yeah. they have a camaraderie of right. sorts. But Who's I don't think that exists now. It kind of does in different ways. I think
1: I think the differences between the two, and Julia, you can tell me if you think this is because you, you were part of that camaraderie back in the day, but I think the difference between then and now is that back then the camaraderie was a little bit stronger because all those comedians moved away from their homes, from different places to show business. So they only had each other and those unique perspectives within the community. And And, we had a a home base. We had a home base. And they had their home base and they had those, those social gatherings at diners afterwards. I mean, they were the only ones awake at that hour. Now, the camaraderie is a little different because everybody's got this and it's social media and right. you don't need to go out yeah. and hang out and you can connect with. So it's, you know, it's a little different, but I, I think there was, I think it was stronger back then. Cause they only had each other.
4: I don't think there was this, the, a feeling of competition among a lot of those guys. That too. You no. Know? Well, from, I used to um, hear
1: stories from like, um, Bill, uh, you know, um, John Mendoza and Seinfeld and those guys where they would literally give each other jokes. Julia, yeah. you're around when they were w- back when they started. You guys would like literally help each other with
2: material. Right? Yeah, we uh I still do. I have sir, I have comic friends. We have a writer like like the Ted Scribes. we'll, we'll meet once a month at uh, a friend's house, the six of us. It varies, but we each help each other write material. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's very respectful, and there's no competition. But, but I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask Bill um, uh, because you said you had a story about everyone. Neil Skank, aka Jack Carter. Um, I've heard stories about Jack Carter not
4: being not a good guy. (laughs) (laughs) No, Jack. Jack was. Jack was very competitive and mean. He couldn't stand when anyone else was successful. You know?
2: Yeah. Right. And that's why I was surprised to see him in the Van Dyke show.
4: Because I kind of, you know. Like Carl used everybody, you know? Yeah. Well, mm. see,
2: that's a testimony to
1: him. What would you say was the best comedian you've ever seen live? Me?
4: Yeah. Well, strangely, Danny Thomas. Really? but it was a different time and it was a different kind of performance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it was so magnificent. Danny Thomas, I mean like the Jack story, which is his favorite. I mean, he told, he told the story for 10 minutes for a bunch but the world he created. Yeah. Along the way was incredible. And, uh, I remember seeing him in Vegas, and uh, he was like, Danny was like a matador, and the audience was the bull, and he would bring them in and let them do passes, and and I remember my wife, who was of that time, number one wife, (laughs) not... (laughs) <laughs> not particularly a fan of comedy or me for that matter. But at the end of one of Danny's stories, she literally stood up and yelled Olay at, at the Sands. I mean, yeah. like watching a matador <clears throat> perform. Hey, he had a story. and Maybe you can help me because I've searched all over the internet for it. The, the,
2: the, the running gag was I'm hot in the boots. It was an Italian guy in a phone booth and he's trying to, he's talking to the, uh I don't remember the, that one see nobody has it he did it on Make Room for Daddy I think and I never saw it any other place and I've tried to find it and if you don't know it then I must have imagined no, it. it's that. lost
4: I'll try and I'll ask Marlo okay. uh, um, but you I've know, got a couple pictures you know, by the way But
1: I was going to say I've got a couple pictures to show you that a, a friend of the show Dan Pasternak who I think you know oh I
4: know Dan sure
1: yeah he sent in these photos Tom's going to bring them up here we go
4: Oh, <laughs> Larry Shapiro. Yeah, George, hey George, George Slaughter, George, right? Yeah,
1: George Slaughter and Paul Provenza. There's Dan. Oh and I,
4: my God! I think he
1: said that is from the um 40th. Or I think it's. I'm trying to trying to read his text. Uh, Tom, send in the other picture. There we go. Oh, that's
4: Sam. And oh, that's us. Yeah. I, I think that is uh, that
1: from the reunion, the Dick Van Dyke reunion.
4: You know I'm I think it might be. Yeah, Sammy looks a little bit old. Yeah. Who's in the middle? Who's George.
2: The middle? Oh my god, I didn't know he was so yeah, young. He's so young. Wow.
4: What else? That's great. Um,
1: he also he said he said the Dan said the funniest line he had ever heard was from Buddy Hackett at Milton Burrell's funeral. He said to Barbara Sinatra, "Next time we see each other, I hope it's under happy, happier circumstances." Like a Jack Carter's
3: funeral.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh God! They, oh my they, God. I mean, up. Danny Thomas. Uh, do you know? You know any Harry Crane? You know who Harry Crane was? Yeah, I know the name. I'm- Harry <laughs> Crane was a old time writer. He wrote for Gleason, and mm. he, he hung okay. out with Sinatra and and Dean Martin. He was the funniest, most treacherous person in the world. I mean, wow. he would shiv you, but I loved him because he was so funny. And and uh, when Danny, he wrote for Danny and Danny was made a knight of Malta, some great honor in the Catholic Church. And wow. uh, <laughs> there was a thing at his house and the Monsignor was there or something like that. And there were candles all over the place and, and the Monsignor said about how how devout Danny was. And Harry Crane said, "Are you kidding? He's so devout he can't get fire insurance." <laughs> <laughs> and the the great story with Joey bishop when when Danny met Joey was, danny in chicago was like there was nobody loved like danny thomas was and he did a lot of charity stuff there mm-hmm. and he did a thing for the fireman relief or some such thing and uh he absolutely killed this th- knocked everybody down laughing 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 and they couldn't breathe anymore and then he when he was through there was this long aisle going up to the elevator. And so he finished and in the applause and everything they said, and now an up and coming young comic, Joey Bishop. And when the, the applause died, Joey came out and said, whatever he said goes for me too. <laughs> he to the stage, follow Danny into the elevator. <laughs> oh, was there ever any?
1: I don't know where I read this, but was there any ever real rivalry between Danny Thomas and Sid Caesar?
4: No, I, they were such different comedians,
1: right? Yeah, okay, that's what yeah, I but I, I wasn't was sure if they were respected each different. other.
4: Oh, god, yeah, okay, you know. Uh, see, so you say the story when Sid was really toward the end of being able to perform at all, mm-hmm. some guy wrote a book about him and uh he came to New York to promote it and uh I put together because I was doing some teaching at NYU then and I put together an evening with Sid and these kids hmm. and there were about hundred and fifty kids who had no idea who Sid really was, you know. And Sid was in such bad shape then I had a have him on stage before he, before the audience came in, because it took him forever to move. Wow. And for two and a half hours, those kids fell so in love and saw stuff that they couldn't believe. You know, clips. Yeah. And, and Sid talking and telling them about stuff. I mean, it was one of the most incredible evenings it was and it was toward the end of him really being around and as in much pain as he was as and as much at a loss as he was when it was over he got up and he thanked them in 22 different languages oh my god they couldn't believe it wow and I went to see him. I mean, I only worked with him rarely. I mean, I wasn't part of that group. But I did some stand-up, uh, some nightclub pieces for him and stuff. And I did, oh, because of Carl, when he did the reunion show, Sam and I got to write with Mel and Mel Tolkien oh, wow. and Carl and Sid for the imaging coca howie morris reunion and i was you know you you sit there and you think what in god's name when do i open my mouth mm. in this room right and uh and when you do you don't stand up when you do it you know <laughs> <laughs> well, I got it because you don't got it and then you got to sit down you know that moment
2: Oh God. Are there oh, are yeah. two two pieces from that show that I, I, I one is the, the, the three haircuts
4: well like, it, it was actually Progress Hornsby are, are you thinking of Sid's show in general Sid's show
2: yeah where the three haircuts come out yeah, they're, they're, yeah.
4: They're they, tri- none of them could dance and they danced their ass, <laughs> ass. reunion show he did Progress Hornsby uh-huh. Yeah, the most far out to the moon. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. For progress, and, we, and they were pitching stuff and everything. And it was, I guess, the second day. And Sid was saying, and uh, I, progress, have finally met the girl of my dreams. And I, I shall marry her. And I said, <laughs> because we are the same religion, strawberry. And... <laughs> That was it. I was in. Oh, that that's sounds. Great.
2: Uh, that always reminded me of uh, Dick Sean's the hippie character, right? Did they? Did they? Do you know what I'm talking about? The one he did in uh, in the producers.
4: Yeah. It's yeah. like
2: he borrowed from it.
4: Oh God, Dick Sean. was he brilliant? Oh God. I spent. I mean, you say something, you know. <laughs> and I spent a weekend. You're not
2: going to bed tonight, Bill. We're just going to keep talking.
4: Sam and I spent a weekend in. In Miami, we had written a piece for Sean, a musical version of Lolita that ran 20 minutes. Wow. Brilliant, brilliant piece. And we went down because he was breaking it in. And Rickles was in the downstairs room at the Delano. And that was when Rickles was fat and angry. and (laughs) And also on the bill with Sean was Sophie Tucker. Oh, wow. wow. And we spent, got snowed in. You couldn't get back to New York. So we spent three days in Miami with Don Rickles, Sophie. Sofa- <laughs> oh, Holy shit. Wow. Oh, my God.
2: That's- See, that's the kind yeah. of stuff we're taught. Those yeah. memories. Oh. Yeah, I mean,
4: unbelievable.
1: And out of all of them, who was the funniest?
4: I would say the funniest person of all Mm -hmm. was Conway.
1: Really? Wow. Wow. That I believe. He seemed like he was rapid fire off the cuff. Conway.
4: Conway did stuff. I remember one night we had a dinner party. It was Mm -hmm. Conway and Carl and Estelle and uh, two other couples. I don't remember. And my wife had bought these big white (laughs) porcelain plates, but they were almost like placemats, but they were plates. Mm -hmm. And so we were sitting there, everybody's talking, and Timmy didn't say anything for a while. And Carl said, what's the matter, Timmy? He said, I'm just thinking. You should, with what? He said, I don't know if I can still do this. And Carl said, do what? He said, I used to put a plate this size in my mouth. (laughs) Carl said, what? He said, yeah, it was a thing I did and it was really (laughs) exciting. Yeah, I'm gonna try it. (laughs) Now we're talking a plate 14 inches wide, and he's preparing himself. 20 minutes. <laughs> puts it in. You know, puts it down. Finally, Carl ran out of the room and said, I have to leave her. I'm going to die.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: out of nowhere. Then one night at Carl's house, <clears throat> we went over. <clears throat> and in the bathroom, they had these paper towels that were held together by these little hands. Yeah. Uh-huh. was springing and he went to the bathroom. He came out with his fly open. The <laughs> hands coming out of his. He said, "I'm really I'm, I'm really embarrassed. I'm 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 going to need some help." He said. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh god.
4: I mean, amazing. Unbelievable. And as oh. well as I knew him, I didn't know him. Oh, nobody, wow. nobody really knew him. Wow. uh, but look if you want to see really some brilliant Conway, roll Freddy Roll, you can watch it online. I've, I
2: got
1: it on here. Yeah, I wrote it it down. I'll check yeah. it out. Yeah. I gotta ask you about Lots of Luck because I love Don yes. Deloise, and I think he was like the he seemed like just the Tom. most
4: genuinely sweetest man. Oh, Tom was the sweetest guy but in the world. Funny, so funny. Well, here's a perfect example of networks. We wrote Lots of Luck, and it was specifically written to follow Sanford and Son, which was pretty raunchy for the time. And the pilot of Lots of Luck was about them buying a new toilet seat, which was pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. And we were supposed to go on at uh, 9 o'clock, on Friday night we made the pilot and it was it was really a great pilot and the network said this show is so good we're going to start Monday night with it and I said to them it's not that good (laughs) wow and we'd already shot a show where he was going out with a girl who was a hooker and his friends were paying her because, because they didn't <laughs> want to tell him. So here's this show that needed some of the soil broken for it. And now we're going Monday night, kids home. And the show died. Wow.
2: I, I remember it with great anticipation. Yeah. That show coming on the air. When they started running it and I would read blurbs about it and the cast, and I'll go, this thing's and then the theme song came on. I go, This theme song is like one of the best theme songs. I'm a kid, and I'm still like it, you know. And I was very disappointed, I gotta say, with with the fact that it didn't last. It should have lasted longer.
4: It was funny, but and then the one that really was a killer too was we did a show called The Sunday Dinner about an italian family that had dinner every sunday together one of them was a priest ron Carey was in it he was (laughs) and then linda dano was in it oh wow wow and she was married to the most presbyterian white bread guy in the world Mm -hmm. joe sorola played the father okay and the show was written they asked us to do a show to follow disney on sunday night oh wow and they came home from church and they were watching football and they were doing it. and this great genius i mentioned earlier martin amtonowski the the research guy they made him the head of programming he changed us we had sh- we Oh, we also had Kay Ballard in it. Oh, geez. Oh, my God. Yeah, and uh, he changed it. We had already sh- shot six shows, all of which took place on Sunday and had to be on Sunday, and he changed it to Wednesday night. Uh... Now you have a show, and then they changed the title at the Fuscos, which was their name, which Johnny Carson used to make fun of. But here's a show on Wednesday night, and people are coming saying, "What a great sermon, Father So and So did." Or, or, and the jets of and, and the audience would at home had to be sitting and saying, "Did I miss?" <laughs> 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 and so that's another show that died because of a research guy.
2: The Montefoscos? Yeah, I uh, the Montefoscos.
4: The what? No, I was just Go ahead. I, I, you go. No, yeah. it's all right. What no, no. I it was. I, one, repeat,
1: I, I, I said the Monty Fuscos.
4: Yeah, and the last series I I really did was a show called Working It Out, and it was with Jane Curtin and uh, Stephen Collins, and the show was built that every week was a week in their relationship, so that their oh. first date. Their second date, their third date, their oh. sixth date. The seventh show was at the point where she's getting serious and is looking for a way to get out of it. And he takes her to see Henny Youngman. And he loves <laughs> and he loves Henny Youngman. And she can't stand Henny Youngman. And she comes home and says to her girlfriend, that's it. I mean, anybody who is is, I mean, we have nothing in common. Right. Now she's sleeping, and you hear da 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 da, da. <laughs> and Henny Youngman is sitting on her bed with a nightcap. Oh, my God. How funny. He haunts her through <laughs> the whole show. Everywhere she turns is Henny Youngman. I mean, that's the kind of show. That's very
2: hip. That's pretty oh hip
4: for that God, time. Yeah.
1: So I got to pitch something to you. I don't even know if I should do this live, but I'm going to do it live. Because I've been thinking about this, and I've got some – a bit of a script written for it. You ready for this? Yeah, sure. All right, here we go. I want to do either. I want to do a movie, but I want to do it about, cause I don't know if you know, there's technology now where you could basically supposedly download your brain and you could, you could update it. And then basically, so when you die, you're you're, there's an essence of you, like your, your brain scan. It's not technically you, but it's got all your memories and it would be in a computer. So I thought, wouldn't it be funny if Does it eat <laughs> <laughs> if it's me, it eats. Trust me, I would find a way after life to eat. So but but what I thought would be really funny was that, you know, because you know how men are, we forget to do stuff. If what if this guy just forgets to upload his brain for five years? And in that five years he's married, he has kids, but he gets into a horrible accident and he and he falls into a coma. And his wife is like, Don't worry, we, we're rich, we've been backing up his brain. And because he hasn't been backed up for the past five years, he comes back, but he has no memory of his wife, his kids. And he's in hes five years, you know, he's the older version of himself Uh and he has to live his life. He has to decide whether he wants to spend it with his family or go live it five years the way he was when he was single and a a bachelor. That's That's my idea. Okay. And now the world has it and I probably screwed myself, but I I think think it's a a good idea.
4: Yeah. Why not? Anything. At this point,
1: the three of us are going to write it right now. Okay. <laughs> we'll be the
2: seven, the seven, the three scribes. Let's do it. Uh um, oh, yeah, you? You are still writing though. That's wonderful. Yeah,
4: uh, yeah, I, uh, it's I, wonderful. I, I write story, you know, incidents, and I'm going to write this movie with Finney. which I think is going to really be fun. I, 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 I think Loudon Wainwright's going to do the music. I love Loudon oh. Wainwright. Loud he's rain. coming on
1: the show too.
4: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a very good friend of mine. He lives right down the island from. The-
2: oh, does he? Fantastic. Can I, uh, can oh, I ask oh, you a question? Best. I have a question for you then. Shoot. I Shoot. I found as a comedian, I write better in short bursts, short short uh, chunks. Uh-huh. And when I try to write a long form a story, you know something, I just I just lose interest. I I just can't sustain myself in that. Do you?
4: That's why you're doing what you do. Yeah. And doing happily, you don't have to do the other.
2: I know, but I want to do the other. I want oh, to be want- able to. Do it. I
4: want to be able to do it. Okay. I- well, just write. Don't think of it as one thing. Write one, then continue it at another point, and then put them all together. You okay. know, if you're giving yourself the assignment of going from here to there. It's intimidating, but if you go say, "Oh, I like this part here," and I'm do that, "Oh, you know, maybe after that I'll do this."
2: So break it down into smaller Break
4: it down into segments, you know. That's
2: a thank you very much.
4: All right. That's a that's great, that's great writing. You advice. would think
2: after 40 years I would have figured that out, but no.
1: <laughs> I actually find that comforting that people who've been doing it longer than me also still, you know, either doubt themselves or or keep that little bit of butterflies before they get on stage cuz, you know, Everybody has it,
2: and it's and it's kind of That's, refreshing.
4: That is the loudest motorboat this kid has. <laughs> it sounds like
2: I couldn't hear anything. I didn't hear anything. It
4: sounds like the end of the world. <laughs> you hear I, that? No, I, I can't hear
2: it. I hear a little. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm something.
4: gonna go have some milk and cookies. Excellent. Okay um it i'm is, gonna be it and i'm gonna go to take a nap so i'm up for the 30th of july <laughs> oh my god i i
2: i'm going to get my you know my information to you and okay and,
4: by all means i will yeah.
2: and it's been yeah. a blast talking to you again thank you so much for coming oh on man. My i really god. appreciate That's, it I, this is
4: just i had fun thank, thank you, you guys yep i'm thank always so available much. i'm 90 i'm running out of time <laughs> oh my god
1: no dude you look great i yeah, what you do what What is your secret, man? Because you you, you just look part, amazing. You know what
4: it is? I swear to God. For thirty years of my life, before I got my nerve injury, hmm. I did Tai Chi every morning of my life. Wow! And it really and the doctors all said it made such a difference in that I would have been more crippled. There's just a, uh, and it was just a great thing that I did. Wow. I taught myself from a video. It took me two years, but I, that was, that was my sort. I would get up in the morning and uh, it would tell me how I was going to be that day. You know, it was like a barometer. Carl to do things. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, you know, Carl, Carl, there was a thing called the Canadian Air Force exercises, you know, mm-hmm. and part of it was scissor kicks. Oh, my that, God. You, know, you do that. Carl thought you jumped in the air and did them. <laughs> but Carl was doing scissor kicks three feet off the ground. And <laughs> Martin Landau said to him, that isn't how you do it. You're going to kill you." <laughs> but carl also early on he had a bad back and he went to a guy and the guy said every morning you do these five things before you get out of bed and so every morning carl did that wow and he was on conan's show and the day he was on conan's show he had fallen down the stairs oh my god and he didn't get hurt (laughs) wow (laughs) and carl said it's because of these exercises (laughs) wow amazing
1: Hey, dude, uh, I I think Julia could be
2: the new
4: mod. What do you think? Oh, God, yes.
2: <laughs>
4: there you are go. You, where are you actually situated right now?
2: I'm in, I'm in Jersey. I live near uh, oh, yeah, about yeah, uh, the Jersey Shore near Tom's River. Oh, I, mean,
4: I grew up in Atlantic City.
2: Did you oh, really? nice. Wow.
4: Yes, I saw Sinatra. I mean, I saw Martin and Lewis. At the at 500 Club? Sinatra. Oh, God. Wow. Geez. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I'm, I'm
2: from North Jersey originally. I grew up near uh, 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 a little north of Weehawken. But, uh.
4: Tom's Rivers. I read a thing very Hasidic now.
2: Lakewood. Yeah, yeah, Lakewood. Lakewood close to Lakewood.
4: Uh, Lakewood, they're, Lakewood. They're
2: moving
1: in.
4: Yeah. Um,
1: I'm in Long Beach Island. I'm close to Atlantic City.
4: Yeah. Well, we'll um, have to have uh, you down for a barbecue. Though. Yeah. The Jersey Shore, man, that was it. Yeah. Growing up in Atlantic City was the best thing in the world. Yeah. The proof of your manhood was to swim around the steel pier. Really? Did yeah. you do it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Or die. Or die. It was, yeah. it was literally. Yeah, yeah. And hope that the diving horse didn't land on you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I actually got to see the diving horse when I was a little, little
4: kid. Yeah, yeah.
2: That was the most amazing thing I had ever seen.
4: Yeah. Wow. The, the horse was not happy. You
2: know? No, I could swear the horse was yelling, That's but right, I don't yeah. want
4: to go. They never let it do any interviews because it would it would have blown the whole thing. (laughs) Never interviewed that horse. (laughs) All right, guys. Good drug to to you. Thank you.
2: Yep. Take care, man. Thanks Thanks so much. much. Good night. Lovely. That was great. Oh, Johnny, that was. Are we still on the air? We're not. We're still on the air. Happy
1: birthday, Julia. That's what I.
2: That that's just. I'm I'm tearing up because that's a, that's a dream come true for me, and I'm sorry if I jumped all over. No,
1: him. this is I. I'm glad you had a blast. He he had some great questions and answers. Oh, and, stuff. and the fact
2: that he might come see me. Oh my God, that's like he's he'll do it. I know he will.
1: Oh, oh Jesus yeah. Christ! I'll give you I his hope, email and everything.
2: I hope I'm funny. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and now it starts. Now it's exactly. Oh, I, I can't, I, there's nothing I could ever do in life. Like I said, I promised you a sexual favor, but even that's not, I'm not that good at it. So. Uh, I appreciate it. It's the thought uh, that
1: counts in this It case. is
2: the thought. I mean, I, you know, if I were good, I would absolutely follow through, but you, you don't want it. It's You know, that count that's on both counts. Now that's, that's yeah.
1: g- doubly generous of you.
2: But, uh, you know, I love you. And uh, I thank you so much. Right for back this. at you. Absolutely.
1: And uh, we're going to go for breakfast more often. That's what he decided yeah. to do, right? Yeah. There we yeah. go.
2: So we'll it's go for breakfast. Best birthday present I've ever had. I'm Come telling on, you, can't even imagine how much this meant to me. I'm so. Cl-
1: I'm I'm really glad I can make it happen because he's you're an amazing person and and you know I'm just you know
2: happy for all your success and stuff too. Thank you very much, and you're I, uh, I'm Trump too, and I'm, you are too, man. It's just, you know, and and we're both doing what we love. So it's, yeah, exactly. I know that happy. was. The, the other day we were hanging
1: out and talking about everything. It was just nice because we just felt like everything was coming together and yeah. we were just, you
2: well, It's know. Like, like Bill is like that. You look at him, you go, this guy, his memories, recalls recalls, That's why I had to, I'm glad you said that at the end because he was just like,
1: I had to ask him what he does because it's, I mean, I've known people who are 60 and they're gone. You know what I mean? And yeah. nothing's going on, but he is. And you know what I love too is that he, I, I almost said it on the air, but I didn't want to, but, but he like grabbed his phone. And he put the date in his phone. I know people who are, <laughs> who are, like, 40, who are like, What the hell is this? Yes. How do I, you know,
2: he's amazing. He's, he's, oh, when he did that, I, when he did that, I, 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 almost I almost yeah. plot. I could have, right? I mean, he's, he's
1: texted me and call, like, like nothing, like it's just fantastic. I, I, he's I'm amazing. Gonna,
2: yeah, send me his info because I want to, I will, I'm
1: going to send you his info. And I just got I just got a text that the cabin episode, one of my favorite episodes of the Dick Van Dyke show is on when I was a kid. That episode
2: oh, it, is it was, just the cabin is great with the chair rocking. Oh, yeah. my God. I just want God. to get doing one thing straight. This couch was open before we go any further. So good, uh, Johnny. Well, um, I'm home now for a while. I'm not going out of town. Uh, so let's do breakfast like very, very soon, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I'm ready to go. Okay. Uh, I
2: just want to remind everybody before we leave, please
1: subscribe on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts. We're very, very close to the thousandth uh subscriber. We're going to do a giveaway as soon as we hit that uh thousand subscriber. We'll give a t shirt, pins, button hat, a the car? whole shebang. We'll
2: give a car. A car? We'll
1: give a, a car. car. I don't know what size it's going to be, but we'll give a car. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I got a Hess truck somewhere from the 80s. There you go. Um, Um, And upcoming on the show, we've got Frank Turner's making his second return. Love Frank. He's going to be here on the 21st at uh, 1.30 PM. We got Craig Shoemaker coming on. um, And the director of the Carlin documentary, along with Michael Bonfiglio will be on the show. That
2: thing was fantastic.
1: It was beautiful, right? That was amazing. Oh my
2: God, was it good, yeah.
1: That was absolutely incredible. Um, And then next month, um, we're probably going to take a smidge of a break hiatus a um, little bit of a hiatus thank you i like that word better uh but um before we do tom holland's dad is a stand-up dominic holland he's got a new book out and he wrote a book and he's coming on the show
2: cool
3: i'm
1: super excited spider-man's dad is gonna wow. be on the program okay it's fucking awesome that's why anyway.
2: dystopia tonight is the number one podcast in the julia scotty household <laughs> Thank
1: you. I appreciate that. That's a high rating. That's a high mark.
2: I love you, Johnny.
1: Love you, too.